Hello and welcome to Compulsive Reader Talks. I'm Magdalena Ball and today's guest, Mira Atkinson, is a Sydney-based writer, researcher and lecturer whose work has appeared in numerous publications. She's been the recipient of writing project development grants through Create New South Wales and Writing New South Wales, and among many other awards and accolades, was awarded the 2017 Varuna Dr. Dark Flagship Fellowship for Nonfiction of Outstanding Quality in Social Historical or political writing. That's a long, long title. She was also awarded a, a Griffith Review Con Contributors Circle Varuna Residency in 2019 and 26, uh, 2016, and a Griffith Review Emerging Writers Prize in 2011 for nonfiction. Again, there are many others, but I'll stop there. Uh, she teaches creative writing at the University of Sydney and is the author of The Politics of Transgenerational Trauma, published by Bloomsbury in 2017, and Traumata, a hybrid memoir and academic exploration about the causes and impacts of trauma, published by Text in 2018. And of course, many other uh, works and pieces around the notion of trauma, which we'll be delving into a little more deeply today. Mira, welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Uh, so can I get you to just um, open with a reading? Sure. Yeah, I'm going to read a section that I I hope um, and think that it does encapsulate the, the project of traumata. Patriarchy seems like an old-fashioned word, a 20th century word. I feel I'm showing my age in invoking it, but there is no other word that gets at it. The ancient Greek word, pakriates, denoted a society where power was maintained and passed down through elder males. In modern parlance, Patriarchal society generally refers to one in which men are predominantly represented in positions of power as head of the family unit, bosses in the workplace and leaders in government. Though some like to think the patriarchy is dead, Hannah Rosen in Slate, and others view patriarchy as a term used by feminists to blame men for all their problems, Urban Dictionary, many feminist th thinkers still use the word patriarchy to describe the society in which we live today, characterised by current and historic unequal power relations between women and men, whereby women are systematically disadvantaged and oppressed, London Feminist Network. In this rendering, the political, economic and social systems established over millennia function as a structural reinscribing of patriarchy, so that, for example, even when women are admitted into roles of responsibility and representation, including high-level leadership such as Theresa May as Prime Minister of Britain or Hillary Clinton as US Secretary of State and Presidential Candidate, they're bound to and by the institutions and attitudes established by patriarchy, which continue to disadvantage women and others on the lower realm in patriarchal social orders. What do I mean then when I say this book is about patriarchy and its endemic traumata? I mean, I'm going to make the case that patriarchy is inherently traumatic and that we might coin a new word, traumarchy, to denote the intersection of the two. Why then am I talking in the next breath of myself, my life? I have to speak from the inside out because patriarchy isn't out there. Our skin is not an impenetrable barrier against its effects. It infiltrates our beings and shapes our lives, first from the outside in, then from the inside out. 
The word memoir comes from the Latin memoriam, recast into French memoir during the 15th century. People think you have to be special to write memoir, but I, for one, am a cliché. This book exists not because trauma and shit going down in childhood is exceptional or inherently interesting, but because it's chronic, commonplace, sometimes dramatic, and often tedious in its strangleholds of repetition, daily struggles, and predictable and unpredictable outcomes, and no one gets out alive. And then there's the question of my unreliable memory, my damaged brain. What does it mean to communicate a fractured, faded memory? If I told you I've heard thousands of stories and witnessed the ravages in the lives of countless friends, acquaintances and passing strangers in detoxes, rehabs, support and therapy groups, you'd think I was exaggerating. But there it is, everywhere we turn, in news headlines and advertisements, on the street, behind every closed door. Of course, not every... Not everyone lives in the slipstream of a familial clusterfuck of trauma, but even the most well-adjusted and loving of families aren't immune to tragedy, freak accidents and diabolical developments. And we draw generational straws in cultural clusterfucks, such as fascistic, oppressive regimes, unjust systemic structures, economic depressions and wars, military, psychological, domestic. Not all unfortunate events or even extreme sufferings are traumatic, but many are. Some live with unimaginable clusterfucks. Syrian refugees rejected at every border. Survivors of concentration camps. First Nations people torn from family and country. In any event, clusterfuck is the turf we're on. We're on the trail of religious imperialism, notepads at the ready. We're investigating its misogynies and carnage. We're tracking the shadows of liberalism, that project of modernity and the Enlightenment. We're taking down the statistics and plotting revolution. There are those who appear to come out unscathed, but few really are. A lot of people lie. You want to know what kind of book this will be. It will slip between viral shimmerings like photographs out of focus with ghostly figures in the background. They mean us no harm. Part manifesto, part epic poem, part library, part love letter, always a conversation. Are you listening? Yes, I am. <laughs> That's wonderful. Thank you. You, you know, it, I think glad you chose that um passage to read because you're you're absolutely right it does it, it does pull at um all the threads in the book and and really the connective tissue if you like I'm throwing out another metaphor there but you know the way in which all of these concepts kind of um bisect one another but also you know it, it, there's such a there's such a subtle beauty um this is this poetry flow that you have spoken about before that kind of um it's kind of weaves its way through the language it, it feels very natural you almost don't realize how beautiful it is because you're following the story but it, 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 it and it doesn't interrupt itself to give you the beauty but it's it's sort of there inherent in the word you know in the work in the words that make up the work so <laughs> thank you for that um and and it, you know Absolutely. Uh, I think, you know, you really, um, it's like a theory of everything, really, for all that, that ails us, <laughs> isn't it? 
Yeah. And I know, I know Traumata, and it, it's not a new book anymore, but um, it does seem to me to be as relevant as, you know, it would have been in, in 2017 in different ways, yeah. uh, you know, so as we move deeper, for example, into the collective trauma that is the climate emergency, um, something you're already touching on in the book, um, and which you're still writing about, as well as, you know, the refugees you talked about and, you know, a whole range of interrelated aspects mm -hmm. of our society, you know, what is underlying this pain that is oppressing yeah. all of us, not just women, but all of us, right? Um, and, I, you know, I, as we perceive um, the, the world shifting, do you find the way in which you're engaging with trauma and indeed the way in which the book is being, uh, is appearing is also morphing and shifting? Yeah, I mean, we always knew, my agent and I talked about this early on, that it was probably going to have a long life, you know, that it was going to be one of those books that it is such a sense-making project. So it is this combination of, you know, memoir and, and um, I guess, cultural analysis, really. And, um, you know, not, not everybody's up for that order of word and work and not everybody's up for that order of hybridity, you know, because it does require a reader to be fairly nimble to move along with a lot of shifts in register and voice, and um, and, and so you know that it's it's I guess it's not a it's not a it's certainly not a comfort food read, right? So, and it, in a way, it was a little bit of a vexed project because I knew that a lot of the people who were going to be most interested in it were also the, a lot of the people who were going to be the most frightened of it because you know so people with with histories of, of severe trauma or very significant trauma it's it's a big deal to go there it's a big deal to revisit you know we're already living with it every day we're already grappling with that legacy in very real lived experience ways day in day out and um so you know i i know quite a few people that were really interested really wanted to read and you know just i can't i can't face it i can't you know because the a, a reader's got to be ready to go there again in themselves and and that's not always the case for, for good reasons sometimes um but in a way i i sort of look back and i think the timing was a little unfortunate. If it, 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 I think if it came out a couple of years later, it would have. It got very crit well critically reviewed, and it has had really um, passionate readers. You know, the, 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 a lot of the people that have read it read it have really engaged and taken it on board. Um, but I think there was a timing thing too. You know, it, I think it was a little bit ahead of its time, actually, because you know when I first started my my PhD looking at transgenerational trauma in 2010, people just their eyes glazed over most of the time if they said, "What are you doing a PhD on?" You'd say, "They go, oh, like didn't compute." But culturally, there's been this shift, and you know, maybe. Traumata humbly contributed to it, I don't know, but there has definitely been a shift in recent years um, or in public consciousness and in public conversation in which trauma, transgenerational trauma, you know, these are now being, you know, you go on social media and that is, this this is a word, that, this is a discussion that's happening regularly, every day you're seeing it. And that wasn't necessarily the case. Even, you know, five, six years ago, it wasn't at that level of visibility. So, yeah, I guess... Um, I guess I, I hope that it ha it does have that long life that my agent predicted, and um, yeah, yeah, and and look, I mean, couple of couple of threads there I'd love to um to or things that I'd like to delve deeper into. I mean, you know, in the first instance, this whole notion of, you know, 
of, of writing needing to be new or books needing to be new and having, yes. you know, a shelf life in itself is yes. kind of um, a patriarchal person right. way of looking right. at it, right? Um, yes. So that there's that, there's this notion that, you know, we're driven by a kind of capitalistic focus on, you know, what is hot and what is finished oh, and that you absolutely. can come to an end of life with these things and then throw them away. You know, th- those, right. those notions have to change. And I think they are changing and maybe that's what. And, that, and that brutal capitalism, that climate mm. of brutal capitalism is very much a part of the kind of, you know, traumatic bedrock that, that we're, that we're living with at this point and yeah I mean books get literally five minutes to do something and I remember when it you know my agent first of all an editor at um, Penguin Random House fell madly in love with it and really wanted it the whole editorial team loved it wanted it sales team shot it down I mean this is a very common tale any writer will tell you this is a very especially writers who are a little bit more adventurous and unconventional in their in their work um you know they'll tell you that it's very hard to get past the sales teams if you're not and you know they've got this very strict quota you've got to sell x number of thousands copies in you know three months or whatever you know really um very prescriptive and um so yeah I think um that's that's the kind of climate that we're in and yes you're right it's part of the whole part of the problem yeah so so maybe it's time has come and the fact that it's not new doesn't matter one bit you know it is still yeah. new in many yeah. ways <laughs> um it's I mean the other is still relevant certainly it's still to- relevant. totally relevant more relevant than ever really uh, you know yeah. um and and the other thing is I guess to go there as a reader and as a writer, um, you have to feel a certain degree of safety. You know, I think about this in terms of engaging with trauma, um, that you have to feel like you yourself are in a safe place to be able to to get to that. But then if you do feel you're in a safe place, but you have that kind of porthole into trauma that you have, um, maybe there is a kind of imperative to do it, that this is part of your life's work because you are safe and you have the porthole. Or you're yeah. ready, you know, to engage yes. there. And I mean, that's one of the things I'm most proud of. Like, I could think of at least a few people that I've had personal contact with um, who, having read the book, like, really had quite major life changes. Mm. Um, one of, you know, the, a very well known journalist, um, I, I, it was actually at Newcastle Writers Festival that I was on a panel with him. And he, Rick Morton, and uh, I'll mention him because he's very publicly yes, spoken yes. and written about it. But I was on a panel with him and I read an excerpt and the pennies just dropped for him. And he went into therapy and it ended up being this massive life change. And he, he went, <laughs> you know, he, he, he sung it from the rooftops. Um, and, and I think what excited me about that, I mean, it was lovely to hear that personally my work at that order of him and, and some others but um you know what excites me even more is just that writing can have that impact that writing can be you know can be that powerful mm-hmm. that it can actually change lives it can totally um it, it can open up um consciousness and orders of understanding that just weren't there before a person read certain words and not just on a personal level, but collectively, because again, when you start to unpick, and then, I, you know, I want to go into this notion of the hybrid form as well. When you start to unpick this kind of, you know, let's call it, and I, I still am not clear in my mind about what this means, but I like it, this notion of, uh, you know, decolonializing language. Um, right. You know, when you start to unpick this notion of 
of a, a way of doing things or, a, you know, rigid structures or rigid genres or rigid um, processes where things are either one thing or another, uh, you know, and that, that goes right through to identity. But, you know, also thinking about this hybrid form, it strikes me that there's no other way really to truthfully engage in history, whether that's personal, collective, or through, you know, then through this multifarious lens that we must rethink who we are as, as a race, as a people, as a culture, as, you know, and, and engage with the, uh, you know, the, the violence um, that we have grown out of and that we do every day, really in the way we live. And we think about that and, and hybrid is the way. Absolutely. And I think that's why it's got such kind of important revolutionary potential and experimental mm. hybrid writing, because, you know, to circle back to the constant, to the patriarchy, um, the sort of original sin, if you like, you know, that's the, that's the point at which we decided to create a hierarchy and naturalise it. That's the point at which we decided, oh, okay, we're going to decide there's these two binary genders, one's better than the other. Um, we're going to decide to um, cast uh, millions of very diverse life forms into this category of animal and we're going to decide to uh, utilise that category to deny their beingness, to deny their aliveness, to deny their right to live and, and to freedom we're going to naturalize all this and we're going so that's the point at which we decided to divide life into these very very damaging dishonest categories um and and so i think when we come along and we work in an artistic creative practice in a way that challenges that um it's doing something very important and it's itself a critique regardless of what you say when you're doing that regardless of what your topic is regardless of what you're what you're sort of uh exploring the very act of that approach is itself it's uh, it's reject it's a form of rejection of that and it's saying no I'm going to explore something I'm going to honor the complexity the fluidness the the interconnectedness, the, you know, fracturedness. But I'm going to honour this order of experience and this reality of living that that, that construct has denied at incredibly great cost. I mean, you know, you just have to look back through history to see what it's cost everybody, as you say, not just, not just women. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and, and, and cost, um, on mass, but also, you know, it's it's very obvious that there there is a certain category uh, of, uh, let's say, person or a certain um, culture that you know benefits from it, and and oh, has absolutely. a an absolute okay. incentive um, to sure. keep keep going with that and to you know push back. But I totally agree with you that the the, the form itself is subversive and powerful. Yeah. So I've been also thinking about the intrinsic link between language and living. And, you know, we, we've just started to touch on this uh, between ink and blood, if you like, and the drive in your work to use language, you know, as a means to get at that unspeakable space of trauma. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Healing is the wrong word, but it does seem to me that, um, you know, this kind of courage and engagement is, is part of what, you know, what you're getting at in your work. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, it's, it's always a tricky business because, you know, I do, I do, I, I guess I resist that sort of, I think there's a way in which a tendency to devalue writing on trauma as, as a kind of therapeutic process, mm. you know, mm. and, and I think it can be and absolutely, you know, and not just writing on trauma, but right, the, a lot of writing has a, um, you know, serves an important role in in helping process in in healing in 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 sort of shifting perceptions and understandings as we've already t- touched on, and so I think you know it's not just writing trauma, but writing trauma because it is so focused on um, a sort of a a damaging process. You know, and 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 also because some trauma, now, conventional trauma memoirs, for example, you know, they tend to they tend to construct the, the trauma story as if there is this, you know, uh, okay, I was born sort of, you know, innocent and whole, then the trauma, um, you know, destroyed me, and then this kind of arc of, um, of healing, which is an endpoint. And healing yes. and endpoint. And, you know, and then the book ends with this. It's all tied up very nicely. And, you know, the, the, the story is complete because the trauma is healed. Well, you know, in reality, uh, most trauma survivors, uh, that's not their story. Most trauma survivors are continuing to live with and work with the um, legacy of traumatic injury ongoing. To in various ways and very various degrees. So I never wanted to write anything, and I couldn't have written anything that that tried to tie it all up in a neat bow and say yes, I'm, and now I'm now I'm saved. Mm-hmm. Um, but but yes, look, healing is a part of it. But it's you know I think yes, like I said, there's this tendency to just I, I think what I what I experienced when trauma came out was a tendency for it not to be acknowledged as literature. And, you know, not, I mean, I'm not saying critics did, certain readers did, but there's a, it's, it's almost like there's this block where if someone's writing on trauma, the trauma pulls all the focus and suddenly the writing disappears. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, yes. it's, like yes. it's all and- about the trauma story and the actual writing was because you know the, the question I was asked most when in interviews was you know I oh, was a cathartic you know and so it, that, that that's the obsession is you know we want to know did it do it for you did that's it right you know yes, and, yes. is there a happy ending <laughs> is there, yeah and my answer was always well no it wasn't traumatic cathartic because it because I, I didn't need it to be if I had needed it to be I don't think I could have written this particular book because you, I had to be at a place of really deep understanding already. Yes. Well, this is art, right? It's not, it's not a, you know, I guess it's not a salutary tale. It's not a way, you know, it's not a how-to guide for dealing with the past. It's, it's a whole new, you know, it's, it's an artistic creation and, and art resists, I guess it resists um, these labels. Yeah. Um, But, but I really want to talk a little bit about 
beauty. <laughs> um, oh. and, and I feel like you could, this could almost be a, a book of its own, uh, it, but it is something that um, certainly Traumata engaged with. Um, the, the, you know, we've touched on this again, but the collective trauma that comes from the commodification of women's bodies, for example. Yeah. Uh, and I was yeah. particularly moved by your mother uh, as a case study with her nose job and breast augmentation, um, and then couldn't help thinking when I was reading that about all the hoo-ha around Madonna and the noise around mm -hmm. her appearance at the Grammys. Yeah. Um, look, I'm not at all knocking plastic surgery or body modification, but, um, you know, I, I think about my own uh, growing up years and, you know, how I would look at myself in the mirror and think, well, you know, I got big nose, I'd love a nose job, you know, uh, oh, not now, but I certainly wanted one when I was younger. And thinking now, um, looking back on that time as, a, you know, that those thoughts of what is and what isn't beauty that kind of circled around the Barbie doll um, were inherently racist. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I mean, I think, you know, like everything, I'm certainly not, you know, taking a position mm -hmm. for or against or judging of course. Um, on that level. But I, I think like, like so many things, it's about where you're coming from. <laughs> you know, it's about where you're coming from. And in my family, you know, the story I'm kind of telling in Traumata is in my family, it was coming from very deep shame, very, very deep shame. And therefore, you know, no matter what you kind of do out of that, it's never going to be enough. It's a Band-Aid on a bleeding wound, you know. Yes, um, yes. So I think... So I think that's what I was addressing. Not the not the sort of, you know, the strategies or the the cosmetic work as such. It's It was more for me about that deep shame and about the way in which it's, you know, the way in which we're set up for it socially. Yeah, and, and I guess the underlying insecurities that are, again, very profitable, <laughs> um, yes. that lead to determining, you know, externally constructed notions of what is beautiful, you know, and yeah. that goes right through to aging, for example. So, I, you know, you say, well, you know, who, why would a wrinkleless face be less beautiful, for example, than a face with wrinkles? Why would dark hair be less, you know, more beautiful than gray? These are cultural constructs, right? And and we all have them, you know, we're women grow yeah. up there's no way not to to imbibe those and to you know commodify ourselves in that way and go you know, yeah. thigh, my thighs are too big whatever you know whatever it is but those yes. you know it's it's fascinating to start to unpick them and and think about where those messages are coming from and who they benefit yeah. and I think one of the great things that's happening at the moment is or you know more recently is is with the, the sort of shifting public consciousness and presence around gender diversity Mm. You know, I think this is really changing um, perceptions slowly, you know, but, but we're starting to kind of open up to different orders of beauty, different mm. um, aesthetics, different, you know, and, and certainly it's unsettling that gender binary, what that patriarchy was, rest, you know, that, that rests on. And so I think that's, I think that's a really interesting and positive development. Mm. Yeah, it's fascinating. And, you know, I, I you know, I know you, you've cited, you know, a lot of work um, in this space, uh, but it would be fascinating to, to, you know, go deeper into these notions and, and see where they're headed. Um, you know, I, I certainly know my own notions of what is beautiful is they are absolutely changing. Um, certainly they've changed from when I was 16, but, you know, they're, yes. they're continuing to morph. Like that is also something that is, is, is changing uh, on the daily. Yeah. I mean, For the better, really I think. Absolutely, yeah. It mm. is in the eye of the beholder, and you see that through history, through time. And you know, how much do we look back at certain fashions and, um, you know, practices of the past and go what, you know, and the 
difference between cultures and you know it's it's obviously a very um it's a, it is a fascinating business yeah the whole mm. why something comes into fashion why a particular physical characteristic is popular in one era and not um but i think it's all for me again it's all back to the shame because if if we're not in a kind of cultural system that's binding some people in in shame more than others and that's not setting some up for it more than others then then it's you know then it can be this fluid changing you know taste thing but but it's the shame that's the killer absolutely and shame is profitable yes of course so it comes and, back to and, it just comes back to those notions of the patriarchy that you touched on um yeah. in your in your reading and in in the book of course throughout the book yeah. Hmm. So uh, we don't have too much time left, uh, but you uh, you've mentioned that you've completed the synopsis on a new book. <laughs> Is there any chance? I know it was a little while ago, but um, any hints or just even like topics that you're really is this a, you know, are you pro- doing more work in this space? What what can we look forward to? Um, look, the, the new work I'm exploring, it's it's that sort of very tentative um, point where I don't want to even presume that it's necessarily going to be a book it's going to be something it might be a book um but it's always very hard when you do work in this very hybrid experimental way it's um it's always a a sort of test and you just kind of wade a little bit further in and a bit further in and then you and then it sort of shapes up around you and it tells you what it's going to be at some point um so I'm still in that very early phase with it um but I'm I'm basically exploring at the moment my uh another aspect of my family history which is uh my grandfather mm. who was um whose family immigrated from Myanmar mm. um they were refugees after the Japanese invasion and, and fled into India and spent a few years there and then moved out here so um so it's and you know, and he grew. You know, he essentially came as a fifteen-year-old, and then and kind of grew up here in into manhood in the in the sort of um, white Australia policy years. And um, so there's, um, so that's that's in play, but it's complex as my story is. So that doesn't really represent it very accurately. And as I say, it's still very um, formative and, and fluid at the moment. Oh, wonderful. No, I, I think uh, that sounds like it's a very fertile ground. So very much looking forward to that. Um, and that is all we have time for today. We've been talking trauma with Mira Atkinson. Uh, Mira, thank you so much for coming today. And I will link to your website in other things in the show notes. Right. So bye thank for now. you. Thanks very much.